0: The following is a presentation of the Connection Church, a place where people are being set free. If you'd like to know more information about our community, you can join us online at ConnectionChurchNC.com. I want to share with you this morning from a story out of John chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, pull those out. It will also be on the screens. We are looking at John chapter 3. We're ending our section... Uh, on the Summer Blockbuster Series, specifically looking at relationships today. We spent the last few weeks looking at the relationship of marriage, all right? And uh, and today, I want to kind of broaden the spectrum a little bit and and, and talk uh, about our relationship, all right, get this, to everyone, all right? Our relationship to everyone. Person, okay? Because see, this isn't just about marriage. Our life is just not about marriage. It's not just about friends. It's not just about our family. Our life is actually a story of every single person that we come into contact with. I want to call that our community today, all right? The relationship that we have as a follower of Christ to our community. What does that look like? Okay, so I want to call this this morning. Why doesn't Jesus just come back already? All right, why doesn't Jesus just come on back and, uh, and, and call everybody in? Let's, let's, let's call it a day. There's plenty of times that I walk through my week and I have this thought. All right, I'll be honest. Um, as a pastor, right, they, uh, they call Mondays bread truck Mondays. All right? Because what that means is at the end of a Sunday, when I'm exhausted and done, that what I wish I could do is just go drive a bread truck, right? I mean, if you get hit in a bread truck, it's just bread. You know what I mean? It's not a big deal, right? It's just bread. Bread truck Mondays. Um, Also, uh, when I think about uh, my daughter um, growing up, going to school, uh, sweaty boys coming into my household. Right? I'm like, Jesus, just come on back. Right? She, she's five. Let's just, you know what? She doesn't even have to school. Go to school. You can just come before August. That'd be fine. I'm, I'm down with that. Um, when I think about her getting married, I'm like, Jesus, that's going to be a lot of money out of my pocket, Lord. Just come on back. You know what I'm saying? Call it a day. Uh, my son, when I think about that mug turning 16 and getting behind a wheel, I'm like, Jesus, today's a good day. The weather's nice outside, right? Let's just, let's just call it a day. Let's be done. Just come on back. Why doesn't Jesus just wrap this thing up? See, one of the things I think is that relationship is the key. All right, that's one of the keys. Uh, relationships, our connection to this community. And what I want to do to kind of illustrate this thought is it's found in John chapter 3. Like I said, we're going to be looking at one of the most uh, familiar stories in Scripture. It's this interaction between Jesus, the Son of God, and a man uh, by the name of Nicodemus. All right, you've probably read this before, so let's jump in real quick. And it says this in John chapter three, verse one. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Okay, so so get this, uh, Nicodemus. It says he was a Pharisee. Okay, that meant that he was part of the most religious section of the Jewish faith. Okay, he was in the top tier all right, of the Jewish faith. He was a Pharisee. That meant that literally he had the equivalent of the entire Old Testament scriptures memorized, all right? This guy was smart. He was wealthy. He was well-to-do. He was well-known. And also, he was powerful. You see, um, not only did he, not, did he have all of the Old Testament memorized, but he would have followed the rules as well. You see, if Leviticus would have said, uh, wear your hair a certain length, then he did that. If, if it said, wash your hands a certain way, or you can't eat this, or you can eat that, or you can't do this, and you can't do that, if you read through Leviticus all of the rules that it states in there, this guy would have followed them to the best of his ability. All right, Nicodemus dotted his I's and crossed his T's, okay? He was a perfectionist. He was well-known. He was powerful. And, and, and not only that, but it says he was a ruler of the Jews, okay, which meant he was a member of a group called the Sanhedrin. Okay, not only was he a Pharisee, all right, he was upper-level Jewish faith, but he was a part of the Sanhedrin, which was a group of about 71 guys, and they were the governing body of the Jewish faith okay this guy was in charge of the Jewish faith he was one of the top dogs in the Jewish community okay he's wealthy he's well-known he's powerful he is all of these things and he comes to Jesus it says Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus comes to Jesus this man came to Jesus verse 2 by night now maybe this was because he was concerned about identifying with Jesus. Jesus was in his 30s. He was young, he was brash, he was countercultural. He did things that were different. And, and so so maybe Nicodemus was wanting to kind of figure out who is this guy? What's he about? But he doesn't want to totally identify himself with Jesus quite yet cuz he doesn't know exactly who Jesus is, but somehow he's magnetized by him. He's intrigued by him. So this Powerful, aged, wise, wealthy man of the Jewish faith wants to come and talk to Jesus. Coincidentally, by the way, when it says by night in the book of John, there's multiple times when it talks about by night or use the word night, and almost every single time it talks about either something negative or being unaware. So I think, just, just my interpretation on this, Nicodemus was coming to Jesus because he's unaware. He's intrigued by Jesus. He wants to come see him, but he's not exactly sure what's going on. He does not understand that he is entertaining the Son of God. All right, so it says this. It says, he came to him by night, and Nicodemus said to him, Rabbi, we know, we being the group of people that he hangs out with, so there's some other people of power, some other people of influence that apparently think Jesus is something. It says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. All right, if you're taking notes this morning, a couple of things I want to point out. Number one, people are drawn to Jesus. Okay, people are drawn to Jesus. That is a major theme that you find all throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament, Jesus Was magnetic. There was something about his personality. There was something about him. I happen to know that it was because he was the Son of God. But at this day and age, they weren't exactly sure. But something drew people to Christ. It's the same story today. That's why we're here. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, Jesus is magnetic. People are drawn to him. Think about this, okay? It doesn't matter whether you believe in Christianity or whether you like Christ's followers or any of that stuff, every single religion and almost every single person is okay with Jesus. They may not like Christianity, they may not like the followers, but almost every religion loves Jesus. They love his teaching, they think he's a great teacher, they think he's a great man, And, and so people are magnetically drawn to Jesus and his teachings. No matter what they think about Christianity, Now, on the flip side of that, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. People are not drawn to me. Okay? Write that down. People are not drawn to me. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about you. All right? Look at your neighbor and say, you aren't as cool as you think you are. You're not. Okay? I know you might think you are, but you are not as cool as you think you are. People are not drawn to you. If you are a follower of Christ in this room, they are drawn to Christ in you. Last week, uh, Pastor Bradley talked about John chapter 3. He must become greater. I must become Less. That is a major theme throughout all of Scripture. It's in Colossians, it's in Galatians, it's in 1 Corinthians, that, that, that term in Christ, or the term Christ in us. We believe as followers of Jesus that the very presence of the living God lives and dwells in us if we're followers of Christ. And so what that means, followers of Jesus in the room, a rule of a relationship says that the more of Christ I have in me, the more... People are drawn to him in me. So let me ask you a question. Are you magnetic? Are people drawn to you? And when I say you, I don't mean you. (laughs) I mean Christ in you. Jesus was intriguing. And if he's in us, therefore we are a people of intrigue. So, a question I want to answer this morning is why? Why were people like Nicodemus, this aged old man who's wealthy, wise, he's got it all together, apparently he's, he's, he's the, the upper echelon CEO of the Jewish faith, right? Why is he intrigued? Why is he drawn to Jesus? It's found in this verse. You see, Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You see, people are drawn to Jesus because of signs. What do signs do? Signs inform, signs direct, signs tell a message. They tell you something that you need to know, all right? If there is a road sign as you're driving out and it has nothing on it, it's not even a sign, right? A a sign without any kind of information that doesn't point you towards something is pointless. It doesn't make sense. And so Nicodemus is coming to Jesus saying, we know that you're from God because of the signs that you do. You see, Jesus was intriguing, Because the things that happened surrounding his life, they weren't normal. They weren't average. They weren't everyday, common Jewish faith type stuff. The signs that happened in Jesus' life pointed to something different. If you read just the first two chapters of John, and let's assume that the first two chapters of John happened chronologically, what you see is Jesus turning water into wine, Okay, that's not normal. I don't know if, I mean, maybe that does happen in your house, but I've never been able to do that. Okay, so, so Jesus turns water into wine. In, in the first two chapters of John, that happens. He calls some people to be a disciple of him. All right, even though he wasn't a certified teacher by Jewish faith, he called people to follow him. All right, that's not normal. That's unorthodox. That's countercultural. And he also cleansed the temple. Just in the first two chapters of John, you see Jesus doing things that make no sense counter-cultural, different than the world. So, let me ask you a question. What are the things that are happening in your life? The signs of your life, what do they point to? Do they point to something different? Do they point to something intriguing? Or do they merely point right back at yourself? What are the signs pointing to? Let me share a story with you. Um, we have uh, just a shameless plug uh, for connection points. If you're not in a connection point, you should consider it because they're worth your time. Okay, um, they, they are life-changing. They're uh, environments to grow. Um, it's an awesome opportunity to get to know people of the faith. So anyway plug over. Um, connection points. We have a connection point. Um, most of our connection points are regularly involved in some type of outreach, some type of service back to the community. So I had, I had one of the connection point leaders come to me and say, what I want to do, okay, this is my idea. I want to take bags of quarters, and I want to go to a laundromat, and, and, uh, and I want to give quarters away, and we're going to do our own uh, washing detergent and stuff like that, and so we're going to come in. We're just going to surprise people. They're going to come in with all these clothes, and we're just going to pay for it, all right, and maybe what if we got some food? What if we brought our grill, and we did some food? We gave away food. What if we just kind of did this stuff? It was just a cool day just to bless people in the community, say, man, thank you for who you are, and, and God loves you, Right? Okay, that is a sign that points to something different. Now the story's not over. Okay, the um, the, the the laundromat where we're considering doing this, it's in a um, interesting part of town. Let's just say that. Okay, and I've been going there the last couple weeks to uh, um, to, to go and kind of build a relationship with. There's a laundromat and then there's a, um, a convenience store, and the guy that runs a convenience store, I've gotten to know. Okay, and, and so so the last few times I've come in, he finally asked me, he's like, man, if you could j- just give me some details on what you're doing, maybe I could help you out. And so I tell him all the details about the laundromat and what we're trying to do and all this stuff, and he asked for my business card. And as I'm reaching into my pocket to pull out my business card, he says, "Um, I'm totally willing to help you as long as this is in the name of Jesus, I'll do it. <laughs> And I was like, well, praise God because it just so happens as I pull out my business card that I am a pastor, all right? And, and I work at a church and he looks at the business card and he goes, oh, Connection Church? Yeah, we know you guys. You guys are the ones that feed down on the corner of Smith and Greed. We we see you guys all the time. Everybody in this neighborhood knows who you are. Man, you want to talk about a sign that points to something different? When people know that you are a movement of people that is about love and embracing your culture and pointing them to Christ, that you are different, man, that is a sign worth holding up, right? Man, that is something to celebrate this morning. And as I walked down the street after I met with that guy, what was amazing, I had two other guys with me, and we're walking down the street. And I parked my car about a half mile away so that we could walk down this street. And I had two different people walking down the street that came up and said, hey, aren't you guys are that, the church, that Connection Church, you guys do the food, right? Y'all do the food down on the corner. Yeah, and they hugged us and said, man, thank you so much for, y'all do, for what y'all do. I mean, that, it, just, it, it really means a lot that you guys are in this community, that you're changing um, this place, that you're hanging out with us. That is why we do what we do. Because our sign, <laughs> we don't want it to point to ourself. We want it to point to him because it's a free hot dog right now. Who knows when it's somebody meeting Christ for the first time. That's what we're doing. You see, so watch this, okay? This this blows my mind, okay? Um, it, it, the, the signs point us to something different, okay? But get this, all right? You see, this is where Jesus flips the script on what the sign is supposed to do, all right? In, in, in verse 3, Jesus tells Nic- Nicodemus, he says this, Jesus answered him, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So something important to remember as we discuss these relationships that we're having and the signs that we are giving out, a really important thing to remember is this. Signs are merely markers along the road. They're not the final destination. Signs point to the destination, but they don't get you in. You see, this is where Nicodemus had it wrong, because Nicodemus was considering himself on equal playing ground with Jesus. He's coming, saying, teacher, rabbi, we recognize that you're from God. By the way, I'm a rabbi, and I'm from God, and so me and you, we're both from God, and we're, we're doing this thing together, and that's awesome, and I don't know exactly what Nicodemus is thinking, but I know that he is putting himself on equal playing ground with the Son of God. He's saying, I'm from God, you're from God, and the reason that I know that you're from God is because of the signs that you do, because you do things. And Jesus says, if you aren't born again, you can't even really see the signs that point to God's reality. Sure, you can see a miracle. Sure, you can see something different in the world. But do you really see with God's eyes? See, it's just like the story of Jesus turning water into wine back in chapter 2. I talked about this a few weeks ago. In John chapter 2, when Jesus turned the water into wine, the miracle that took place wasn't the fact that Jesus turned water into wine. That was meant to be a symbol of Jesus being the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the celebration and the party that is going to happen when Jesus the groom is reunited with his his bride and the wine that is going to flow and the celebration that is going to happen when his church is reunited with him. Man, that's what the sign was all about. (laughs) And the people there thought it was just water and the wine. No. No. The sign points to something so much greater, but in order to see it, you must be born again. So watch this. Those who are from God... As it says there in in, in John 3, verse 3, those who are from God are born again. They must be born again. This means that they're followers of Jesus and that they follow his way of life, that they have committed their life to him. Jesus was literally calling Nicodemus out in a gentle rebuke here, saying, Nicodemus, you think you have it together, but you're missing it. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. So followers of Christ in here, this verse for us means two things. Number one, if you're a follower of Christ today, you have the ability to see God's reality. The things that we do in this world, we have the ability to actually see what God is preparing, what God has in store. I'm not sharing this to, to elevate myself or my family, so, so don't see that. But one of the things that we do is we give a lot of money away, all right? We live in, in a place that is way below um, what, what we could afford so that we can be generous with what God has given me. Now, is this so that I can stand up here and say, hey, guys, look at me. I'm giving away money. It's awesome. I feel good about myself. Yay. No. The reason that my wife and I have made that decision is that that sign in the physical world of being generous is actually what Jesus is calling us to to bring others to him. That's the reality. And when you become a follower, you get it. You go, oh, it's not just about money. It's about helping people see the kingdom of God. We have the ability to see God's reality. What does it mean? It means we don't, we understand that life is not about us. It's not about fulfilling your here and your now and your selfish desires and your wants and so on and so forth. It's not about going on sin binges and doing whatever you want to do, just as as much as it's not about religious rule following like Nicodemus was doing. He thought his entrance, his ticket into heaven was how good he checked his list. He dotted his I's and crossed his T's. And Jesus says, guess what, man? You are just as far away as the sinner who knows nothing. The only way to see the kingdom of God is through Jesus Christ. Second thing this verse means, if you're a follower of Christ, get this. It means that we're called to live in such a way that other people can see glimpses of God's reality in us. We're sign bearers. We bring God's reality to this place. So what does this look like? All right, I wish I could have like seven more hours to unpack the rest of this scripture, but I don't. Okay, so we're going to skip some stuff. Um, and, uh, and we're going to just kind of jump on to Jesus finishing up this conversation with Nicodemus. He finishes up this, this interaction between him and Nicodemus. He talks about spiritual rebirth. He talks about becoming a follower of Christ. And watch this, okay? He ends with verse 14 and 15, and I find this so intriguing. All right, he says this. Jesus tells Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man Must be lifted up that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. Now, Nicodemus would have been really familiar with this story. Okay, this would have been something that Nicodemus would have totally understood because he had the majority of the Old Testament um, memorized, but I don't think he understood the implications of this story right then and there. You see, Jesus is referring to Numbers chapter 21. All right and in Numbers chapter twenty one in the Old Testament the story goes like this: the people of Israel had just come out of captivity from Egypt. All right, they had been enslaved and they were set free. Moses, the leader, led them out of Israel, and now they're nomadic. Okay, which means they're homeless. They're popping around from place to place, and actually in in Hebrew, the uh, the the book of Numbers is actually called In the Wilderness, which I think that's way better than calling it Numbers. It sounds like Bear Grills is gonna, you know, jump out and like with his shirt off and, you know, kill something. That's that's what I think of in the wilderness. That's what I wish Numbers was called in the in the wilderness. So it's this story of the people of Israel hopping around from place to place in the wilderness, and it says they began complaining that God wasn't taking care of them in Numbers twenty one. So, Scripture says God allowed fiery serpents to come and bite the people, and many of them were dying. Numbers 21. The people, of course, repent. They say, God, we're sorry. We're sorry we complain. You know, please do something. So, Moses, the leader of the, of Israel at the time, he prays, and he asks God to step in and come save Israel. So, God says, all right, here's what you got to do, Moses. What you have to do is make a bronze serpent, make a serpent out of bronze, put it on a pole, lift it up, put it in the middle of the camp, okay? And whoever is bitten by these snakes, uh, if they'll just look, if they will merely just look at the bronze serpent, then they will be healed. All right, so, so watch this, okay? Just a few points of information before we go any further. Uh, put that picture up real quick. Okay, how many people love snakes? Praise the Lord. (laughs) How many people hate snakes? Dang, all right. This is a saw scaled viper. They are native to Israel, and they are venomous. Okay, you're not going to find one in your back porch, but you would find them in Israel. This is almost certainly the type of snake that would have bitten the people of Israel, Their venom releases hemotoxins into the bloodstream, all right? And, and so what this does is this causes, when you get bit by this snake, this causes the blood cells to grow and to expand, okay? And then the blood cells start breaking down, and they coagulate, or they stick together inside the vein. Where the blood is. So picture this. Someone were to get bit by a snake like this on their leg, and all of a sudden their leg begins to swell four, five, six times its normal size because the blood cells are beginning to pool and coagulate around that leg. This isn't like a neurotoxic type of venom. Neurotoxin literally takes just a few minutes and you're out. And you die a really pleasant death because you don't remember anything. This is painful. People who have been bitten by this snake talk about the fiery burn that they feel as the blood begins to coagulate and pull and swell. And because in this day there was no anti- anti-venom, you would literally die by drowning. Because the circulation of blood, it couldn't get through. Your, your lungs would fill up with blood and then eventually you wouldn't be able to breathe. This would take hours to days to die. It was slow and it was painful. People would die from drowning. Now get this. The nation of Israel is at this point anywhere from one to three million people. Okay? It's a lot of people. Their camp That they lived in was anywhere from two to five miles wide at any given point. So imagine you're a part of the people of Israel and you get bit by this snake and you're at the furthest end of the camp. You're two, three, four, five miles from the center of this camp and you have heard about these snakes and what they do and how they die you've actually seen your friend or your family member or so so on and so forth die from this but you've heard that Moses put up this bronze snake and that people are looking at it and they're being healed what would you do? I don't know about you But if I'm five miles away and I got bit by this snake, there is not anything that is going to stop me from getting to that bronze serpent. I am going to do whatever it takes to get to that bronze serpent. So you get there, and you look, and all of a sudden, it's gone. You've been healed. Now imagine your spouse, your children, your family, your friends. The people that you know and love and rub shoulders with on a daily basis. And they get bit by the snake. You know they're going to die. What do you do? Now I know for me that if my daughter or my son or my wife or my parents or anybody in my circle gets bit by that snake, I will do whatever it takes to get them to that bronze serpent. I'm going to climb walls. I'm going to bust through walls. I'm going to dig under walls. I'm going to kick people's face in, all right? I'm going to do whatever it takes to get my people to that serpent, to look at that bronze serpent because I've been healed and I know that they will be healed if they can just look at the bronze serpent. What if they don't want to go? I will drag their tail to the bronze serpent and make them look. So followers of Jesus, how do we live in such a way that people can see glimpses of God's reality in this world? Scripture says, Moses lifted up the bronze serpent so so as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent so the son of man might be lifted up. Now yes, this is all about the imagery of Jesus dying on the cross and being lifted up on that cross, but I also think that this is our call followers of Christ in the room that our job is to lift up the name of Jesus in our community. All right? We have the cure people are dying and and spending an eternal separation from God and we have the antidote I don't know about you but that makes me want to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus verse 15 says It says that the serpent was lifted up and that Jesus was lifted up so that, verse 15, whoever believes in him might have eternal life. Friends, followers of Jesus, we are called to have an intimate relationship with this community for the whoevers so that whoever believes in him it means it doesn't matter where they come from doesn't matter who they are what they look like what they smell like how much money they make as a follower of Christ we are called to bring the cure to the whoever's we are called to do whatever it takes to lift the name of Jesus up in this place Why doesn't Jesus come back already? Because of the whoevers that live on your street and in your neighborhood and go to your workplace and rub shoulders with you on a daily basis. I don't know about you, But I know that I want to do whatever it takes to lift up Jesus in my life. Does it look like taking coins to a laundromat? Sure, it does. Does it look like living on less? Does it look like giving stuff away? It looks countercultural, man. Jesus was magnetic because he was set apart, because he was different. And if Jesus is in you today, you are set apart. You are called to live a life that looks different from this world because you've been healed because you've looked on the face of Jesus if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute if you're not a follower of Christ I want to talk to you in a second But if you claim Jesus today, all right, if you are a follower of him today, I want to encourage you. If people are not drawn to Christ in you, today is the day to draw the line if you've been pursuing the American dream, if you've been pursuing your wants and your desires with little thought or effort into what God actually might have in store for you, that he might actually be calling you to build a relationship with this community, with those who are dying, because you have the cure. If that's you today, if you're struggling, if you have not been that And you want to today. If you want to commit to say, Jesus, I give you all of it. I've been holding back, all right? There's parts of my life that I have not been readily willing to give away. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand so we can pray for you? You want to make that commitment today. Jesus, I give you, thank you. I give you everything, yes. Thank you. Thank you. And today's the day. Jesus, I pray. God, that our hearts and minds would be about you, that we would be about your work, that the people that we come into contact with, Lord, would know that we are followers of you because we're magnetic because of you and us. Lord, that your love compels us, Jesus. God, we give you praise and glory. And we want to sing this song in response to who you are and what you have done for us. Lord, in your name, amen.